Thank you everybody for joining us on this five-part series. Today is series three. Um, we appreciate your time and, and uh, hope that you find this beneficial and informative. As we uh, continue, we wanna make sure that this is interactive as possible. So uh, please post your questions both in Slido and in the chat uh, area in Zoom. So either one would, would be sufficient. And if we get so many that we don't answer all of them today, we will definitely follow back up and make sure that we get you an answer. Um, today, there is no sales pitch. Um, our agenda is purely to share the essential knowledge, insight, and maybe bring a little fun to a dry topic, which I'm hoping our panelists can do. So uh, they live and breathe this every day. Um, wanna take a few moments to introduce our uh, panelists today, and then we'll, we'll kick it off uh, in our first area uh, domain and, and get some questions going. Uh, first, we have Karen Walsh, certified CMMC ABRP, uh, founder of this and CEO of uh, Allegro Solutions. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very we much. Angela Rittenbach, CISSP, and president and CEO of River Solutions Incorporated and president of also CyberReach.org. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us, Angela. Um, Amira Amand, I haven't seen her yet, but she hopefully she'll be joining us shortly. Uh, and then we have Thad Wellen, consultant, IT security um, uh, with Dell Federal and adjunct professor at McKinney Dree University. Welcome, Thad. Thank you. We also have Eric Lunsford, independent consultant, cybersecurity um, around uh, CMMC, NIST 171, NIST 53, FedRAMP, FISMA, SOC, ISO is uh, the specialties. Um, thank you for joining us today, Eric. Thank you. And Kyle Lai, president and CISO and head of services of KLC Consulting. Welcome, Kyle. Uh, also joining us today from Stealth, uh, we have Dasha Deckworth, our president and founder of Stealth ISS Group. Welcome, Dasha. Um, Robert Davies, our CEO um, at Stealth ISS Group. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank everyone for, for joining in, appreciate it. And Mike Pedrick, vice president of consulting. So appreciate uh, you being with us as well. All right, well, without further ado, uh, let's get going and I will share uh, slides and talk about um, our topics for today and the domains we'll be covering. So give me one. All right. All right, well, our series, um, this five-part series has been to cover the 17 domains uh, within the CMMC model. And uh, we're covering them in the focus of being certified for a level three certification. Um, so today uh, we'll be covering uh, three different areas, risk management, security assessment, and audit and accountability. So to kick it off first um, in risk management, wanted to ask a question about um, 
if IoT devices are within scope within the CMMC model? And I'll throw that first question out to Karen. Oh, so I get the hardball question. <clears throat> we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. I think it depends on what information they're transmitting. We talked sort of about whether or not your toaster would be. And, you know, your toaster is probably not sending any information. But if someone's talking on a Google, a Google Home or an Alexa, I mean, I would just say that it's, it's the same risk that you're running with any IoT security. If it's going to be touching data, CUI, then it would be in scope. But I'll pass that off to people who are probably a lot smarter than me. Anybody else that want to jump in on that question? Yeah, I think yeah. So I, I think this is a really you know, once you before you really start evaluating evaluating the risk, you probably want to identify the scope, understanding what kind of data. Uh, in our case, might be the CUI or FCI type of information that we're dealing with. Then, based on the understanding of the scope of the information, then we can identify what kind of threats, right? What kind of threats that might be. Uh, might actually exist that impacting the data that we actually handle and what kind of vulnerabilities that we actually have, right? Uh, based on the threats that we have, because the vulnerabilities is really the, a place where the threats can actually you know, expand and that become a real problem. So that's kind of uh, what we really have to identify is the, what is your scope, the data, the threats, and the, probably the possibility, what is the frequency, what is the probability of uh, of uh, things might be, uh, could occur, and also what's the impact on the confidentiality, integrity, and the availability. Thank you, Kyle. Um, I have a question here. If you don't have any um, non-vendor supported products, can the practice be not applicable? So I'll, I'll take that one. Uh, I, I would say, I would say yes and no. I, I say yes as in the fact that you don't have to answer to the fact um, that, that how you manage those, but I would say no in the fact that you need to have a process to be able to deal with unsupported products because just because you don't have anything today doesn't mean that next week um, you might have a device that's no longer managed or supported by a vendor and you need to figure out processes on how to deal with that. Do you isolate them from the network? Do you make sure that only limited users have access? Do you only say it's a VM and you only turn it on when you absolutely need it and then you make sure you turn it off when you do. So those are the, some of the things that I would say. Um, it's kind of a yes and no answer. Um, you need to have a process, um, but you currently might have to not have to actually answer to any of the, the uh, assessment uh, objectives. Appreciate that, Thad. Um, you know, some of the terminology within the controls within these domains seems to be kind of vague. And one of the questions uh, they had was, it says periodically perform risk assessments to identify and prioritize risk. What does periodically mean? Once every 10 years, every six months, is there a defined requirement of frequency or it really is up to each organization to choose? Kyle, why don't you take that one? Sure. Um, I would say it really depends on the type of control. So how often you're going to change your password, for example, it might be every 90 days, right? And uh, how, 
if you actually say I change every two years, it might be a little bit too long, right? So I think there are some kind of a standard practices. If you, are, if you don't really know, there are some kind of a practice and kind of a frequency that you can probably check. There are some other standards. Uh, I mean, right now in the CMMC and the NIST 800 they don't really tell you exactly what is the periodic means. I think from the different different type, different uh, uh, standards out there, there's ISO, there's the uh, you know, CIS, um, some of the Microsoft uh, recommendations. I think those are some of the things that we can re refer to. So I would say it really depends on the type of um, the controls, um, but periodically, usually I would say suggests to less than one year. I appreciate that, Kyle. Uh, Karen, please. I was gonna say at least annually. Right. I think if you're looking at any regulation or any standard that's underlying CMMC, they will all use at least annually, despite the fact you might not like it. Or if you're making a substantial change within your environment. Mira, I have a follow-up question for you around this. So annually, I appreciate that, Karen, but what is best practice? We all know check the box minimum. But if you're doing it in your own network based on what you understand to be secure, how often would you do it, Amira? Uh, yeah, so um, annually is correct. Uh, the, there is a formal definition for periodically, which is something along the lines of uh, as organizationally defined, but not less than once a year. And um, you can find, there. there so the, uh, set, uh, sorry, the CMMC appendices, which is generally considered out of date at this point. Uh, it's a document that's available right alongside the model, the assessment guide. Um, the, app the appendixes have a section for a glossary and that, that section is actually one of the most relevant sections that you should be looking at. And that's where periodically is defined. Um, in regards to a best practice for risk assessment, uh, you know, an assessor is not going to ding you if you do it at least once a year, um, but you should have some sort of a policy or a procedure that says, here's the, the frequency required by our group. If you're, if you're a huge company, um, you should probably be doing it monthly. If, you're, if you have a fairly simple company that doesn't change often, six months, um, it, it, it's really based on, you know, the, the amount of threats and changing landscape you're looking at. Thanks, Amira. Um, you know, under this first domain risk management, you know, we have identify and evaluate risk, manage risk, which is under level three. But I threw in here um, in the slides, manage supply chain risk that's under level four, but wanted to throw it out there. Shouldn't that be something people are still considering in their security plans, even at a level three? And, and to what degree, what would be best practice? Yeah, so I think this, this comes down to um, the, the organization. So if, if you're building something and you um, are ordering parts from all over the world, this is something you should be looking at. So you make sure that you don't put counterfeit parts uh, in, inside of, of whatever your widget you're building. So I think it, it all comes down to the industry that you're supporting. Um, I, I will say I, I, I will, will, will not be surprised 
that when the final review and assessment procedures and the review of CMMC 2.0 is going to be released, that this gets moved down to a level three. And I say that because of the executive order that um, Biden signed here a couple months ago, that this is one of the things that he was highlighting. And I think it's something that's very important that's been going on for years. Um, I, I have a few stories of my own or you bought, bought, bought some stuff from vendors and then they, they recalled it because it turns out there's parts in there that didn't belong. And lo and behold, this happened to be, I won't name the vendor, um, but it was a switch. And we popped up in two exact switches and we looked and we're like, why does this one have extra parts? It turns out that somehow supply chain got interrupted and um, that switch actually came from China um, when it was on the approved vendors list for DOD products. Um, wow. So this is something that, that we all need to be aware of. It comes down to the industry you support and you should be managing risk, whether or not um, the compliance uh, standards are, are, are telling you to or not. Great. Appreciate that. And I'd um, add to that that I think yeah. as part of managing the vendor risk, I think to the extent that some of the changes we are seeing are going to be responsive to the executive order, you need to also consider as part of your supply chain, any open source code that you're using and have a way to manage that when you're building things. Well, and David, if I wanted to add too, I mean, all of these these questions really um, organizationally defined periodically. What's in scope? Um, you know, what controls fall into which level? It it really does depend on the size of the company, the the business of the company. Um, it, it 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 all depends, right? The the answer is it depends. And um, effectively, if you are um, documenting what you do and then demonstrating that you do what you said, then um, from a compliance perspective, that is inclusive, but there is not one size fits all or one, you know, um, response that fits every company. And, and so all of these um, questions about periodically or what's in scope, I mean, if you define those things up front, draw your boundary diagram, define what is in scope, what's out of scope. Um, but then most importantly, regardless if you say 30 or 60 days, most importantly, do you do what you said you were going to do and, and follow that standard? Appreciate that, Angela. Um, any last points under risk management? We're trying to keep this 15 minutes per domain uh, before we jump on to uh, security assessment. Yeah, I had a quick point about this kind of it depends. Yes, it absolutely does. But all of a sudden you're, you're leaving the decision up to the assessor and, and no two assessors are created equal. So by default, there, there could be ambiguity and, and differences in decisions. If, if one assessor thinks, well, it, if the company is 20 million in revenue and, and needs to, this needs to happen annually, and another person thinks, well, another assessor thinks it's 20 million revenue and it needs to happen every six months. Where, who, who's right? How do, how do you, how do, how do you um, figure that out? Or is it really just up to the assessor and a, and a dialogue with the assessor? 
Well, Here. is it up to the oh, assessor yeah. or is it up to the um, to the organization? I mean, within reason, right? The organization couldn't say every ten years, right? Um, so, so, so you're you're right. There is that um, different assessors could have different views, but the um, the company, I would think, should be able to um, identify why they're selecting sixty days or six months or or 12 months, right? There should be a reason why those those time periods are yes. um, defined. Is this something CNMCAB would check on once they they receive the assessment? Because there's an audit process, isn't there? Once the assessment is done, it goes off to the CNMCAB for checking. So uh, one, one of the differences between CMMC and federal information system standards uh, that the government uses for their own systems is CMMC is not prescriptive. It's purposefully not prescriptive. Right. Uh, and that's the same as the NIST SP 800-171 that CMMC comes from, where they really want to give power to the organization to set um, the limits and schedules that are appropriate to the organization. Uh, now, you know, does that mean that organizations should pick the lowest possible threshold? <laughs> Maybe, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, it, uh, if, if for some reason your, your system can't do something, don't make your policy harder than what you can actually do, right? right? But uh, like Karen Walsh says, you know, she's, she's on point. Um, you should be able to justify your choices. Right. If you have to give an exception, you know, have it in writing and say why you decided that this is a, a good thing to do. Uh, right. Your your risk assessment um, or risk register should include, uh, you know, hey, I'm worried that my vendor is going to get compromised. What does that mean to me? What what safeguards can I put into place? Right. Even if you don't have a formal supply chain risk policy and program. Uh, you might have a couple lines on your risk register about supply chain related threats. And I actually think it was Angela who originally said that. I just sat here and listened to her. <laughs> but I agree. I agree. In my audit experience, if you can explain your reasoning and you've done something reasonable, then you've, you've met a threshold. But I also think if the underlying goal of CMMC is security. That starting from securing your stuff first and then going back and saying, did I do everything that it said mm -hmm. and making sure you've covered your bases. I always think in terms of putting things in place, getting secure, and then making sure that what you've done actually matches the boxes you need to check. Thank you, Karen. Um, why for time's sake to keep us on track, um, we're gonna move into the next domain, uh, security assessment. And anybody that still had questions on, on risk management, um, please don't hesitate to continue to um, send us those. And, and like I said, we will, we will get you answers um, after this uh, presentation. So next one is security assessment, covering development and manage a system security plan, define and manage controls, and perform code reviews. So one of the questions uh, we had around this domain 
is can you give me an example of how to perform continuous monitoring and security controls? So why don't we throw that one to Eric? Yeah, so um, continuous monitoring has to be something that um, the company, you know, agrees with, puts in place, um, has to be based on those processes, policies, and procedures uh, that are developed for the best practices for those controls. Uh, because as we know, each company uh, requires uh, different levels of maturity uh, for their control, depending on what you guys pointed out, the size of that company. Um, <clears throat> but I think it is very important to establish a continuous monitoring uh, process and review those controls um, as we've talked about annually. But also there's those other controls that we talked about when you do uh, any kind of change configuration and management where you, know, you have to do that risk assessment uh, based on that change before you implement it. So basically that's um, uh, what I feel is you know, really important uh, for uh, establishing that continuous monitoring. Uh, thank you, Eric. Does anybody else have anything to contribute in, under that? So I would say that for, for all the practices, you should have them defined as weekly, monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, annually. Um, and then, uh, of course, there's going to be quite a few controls that are in that annual bucket. But there's going to be a lot of controls that are either daily or weekly, like the audit family. Um, obviously, you're not going to audit once a, once a year. You're going to either audit on a daily basis, depending on your environment, or maybe it's on a weekly basis, or maybe you have a actually have a SOC that's monitoring that 24-7. So I think all the practices should be defined on, on a standard of you know, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, annual. And, you know, Amira and Kyle both, I think, touched on this, that the federal documents do give more granularity. Um, I think the 800-53 document does um, provide some better guidelines on um, what's considered a reasonable period of time for those things. Appreciate that. And yeah, and uh, just uh, just a suggestion because uh, there are going to be like uh, Thad was saying, like weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, right, semi-annually. There are all different schedule, so it's better for you to actually have a like an enterprise schedule, like a maintenance schedule, and uh, say, yeah, for this month we're going to do this, and spread out to the next twelve months, like uh, for the entire year, when you're going to do what, and uh, that might be a better way to manage what you're going to do. And also, I will say, try to automate as much as possible because uh, doing everything manually, it's probably going to be very time consuming. So whatever you can do to automate and uh, just generate an alert when things go wrong, right? Don't, don't go to look at everything if it's going right. And uh, if everything you have a script to actually go test and uh, everything's going fine, yeah, you can just uh, you know, do an automatic check for those uh, controls. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, we have a question here. It says, how do you write a procedure for security assessment items like creating a security uh, a system security plan? Eric, do you want to take that one? So, so basically, um, you know, you can, you can follow a method 
that's going to help you develop your system security plan. Uh, just for example, if you're using NIST 171 and you perform your scoping, you, de you define what's in scope, what's outside of scope, uh, and then you work on your POAM, plan of action and milestones. Uh, as you develop your plan of action and milestones, you, you, you figure out hey, what practices are implemented and what's not. You take that into your consideration when you're building out your system security plan. Um, so that way you identify you know, those controls that are pertinent to your, to your environment um, and that are in scope. And then you build on those, uh, that system security plan to make sure that you are you know, safeguarded and implementing those controls uh, and best practices based on um, what you're doing, what that CUI is, what that you know, data you're protecting is in that environment. Amir, do you have anything to contribute on that? Uh, I, you know, there is a, there is a requirement um, in CMMC right now to write step-by-step uh, -step procedures for how you're going to do every practice. And, um, uh, you know, things like uh, a step-by-step -step procedure for writing a system security plan or, um, you know, how to, how to create a plan of action. Uh, those are pretty, pretty tricky topics. Um, the, the best I can think of is maybe reference uh, to outside documents, uh, perhaps from NIST that say, you know, here's how you do it. Yeah, that's what I was going to follow up with. I, I, would, I would point everybody to NIST 818, I believe it is. It's how to develop a system security plan. So you're obviously going to have all your main POCs, um, your information owner, your information system owner, your, if you have an authorizing official, which for, for most organizations they're not, but you know, they're, they're CISO, they're CIO, uh, who, who basically owns their information. Do you have system diagrams? Do you have data flow diagrams? And then of course, you know, how you document, how you're complying with every single control is what makes up a system security plan. So I would say everybody, you know, this is, this is all built on NIST guidance. So why not use the NIST guidance um, as your framework? Yeah, but, uh, just to add, because uh, in the CMMC, there's a list of assessment objectives for each of the practice. So just to make sure that you address uh, when you're going through the system security plan, you also make sure to check off each one of the assessment objective, right? So, you know, for example, they see 1.001, they actually have like six uh, assessment objectives. Right, not just one practice, but you just uh, when you are documenting your system security plan uh, or that practice, what you're doing for that practice, make sure you include um, include the answer to those uh, assessment objectives. We have a question um, it ties right around what you're talking about, Kyle. It says, what information should be in the security assessment plan that the auditor will look at and also accept? Um, are there other pieces of data than what we just discussed? Um, yeah, go ahead, Amira. So, sorry, this is this is one of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> so the, the system security plan, uh, you know, there's going to be a couple sections and you can download a template for it from the NIST SP-800-171 page. Um, it's obviously not gonna be a CMMC uh, customized plan, but you can take it and reformat it. Um, 
you should have uh, network diagrams, data flow diagrams, maybe organizational charts, maybe physical facility layout diagrams that show your systems as well as your CUI scope. Um, you should have an in-depth analysis and description of each of your uh, network components um, and security systems and how they uh, interrelate. Um, and it should be written so that, you know, the assessor can read this and understand your environment essentially, right? So it's an introduction to your environment. Uh, and then for each practice, you want to talk about whether, um, you know, whether it's implemented, not implemented, or not applicable. Uh, you want to talk about why, right? If it's implemented, how are you implementing it? And you should, one of, one of the things that a lot of people, I think, do wrong is they try and be vague in their system security plan. Um, you know, maybe they're, they're thinking they're going to release it to other companies. Uh, but, um, you know, be as specific as you can because that system security plan will be the answers that you give to an assessor so that you don't have to come up with it out of your head, uh, you know, on the spot of the moment. Um, it should say, you know, here's the procedure that implements this practice. Um, maybe here's the records that show that I've been doing this procedure, right? This is where you can find them. Uh, and you should be talking about how each of your systems uh, do the practice, including ones that you're inheriting. So if and you're... I was just saying, Amir, you know, for larger organizations, the, the, the security controls they use to monitor a lot of times are software tools, right? Or, or built into some of the products. But for smaller organizations, um, they're probably going to have to do a lot of manual because they won't be buying the type of, of network tools that will be um, monitoring the controls like in larger networks, correct? Uh, that's, that's tricky because, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't met a software tool that just does everything for you without some human review and oversight. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a good time saver, of course, uh, but it's, um, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of GRCs make, they say they'll make your system security plan for you. Uh, the level of detail that they put in is generally not enough to pass an assessment. You, you're gonna need, need to supplement quite a bit. Can I ask you a question, Amira? Just because I didn't, I, I don't, I'm not registered to do the audits. In between, do you suggest, when do you suggest an organization review things as they add a new tool and processes for going around that, just out of curiosity, because I'm sure a lot of companies are gonna start their, their journey because we're all on a special trip to CMMC um, with one set of, of tools and start expanding as they go or contracting. What would you consider a best practice for updating? So I'm a huge fan of the change management process for doing a lot of the requirements in CMMC. And as part of the change management process, which maybe has 20 steps, you know, um, 
one of the steps should be, did you do a security impact analysis and which, which practices are impacted by this change? You know, which, which practices do we need to apply to this new system, for example, or reapply if it's a migration? Um, and then part of the planning should also be what documentation needs to change. And in a lot of cases, if you're making a significant change, uh, your system security plan will be, will be the answer to that, right? As well as maybe procedures, uh, user training, other things. I hope that answers the question. Thank you, Amir. Uh, and thank you, Karen, for those questions. Um, okay, uh, any other last points around security assessment? We need to, to move on to the next domain. Yeah, I think uh, Karen touched upon the open source in the first question. So I will just say if there is a, any internally developed software, uh, we have to go through this uh, secure code review among the other security reviews, security assessment on the, on the software or the code that you develop, right? So there are some, uh, there are actually some free tools, uh, OWASP um, is actually OWASP is actually a good resources if you don't already have some tools to conduct uh, testing on your code or software that you develop. Uh, there are some static review, static code review or dynamic reviews that you can actually use. And that there are some free tools out there. Uh, open source obviously is a good, is an important topic because uh, most of the software actually have a, uh, at least one open source components in there. So even the, uh, even the uh, Biden, uh, new Biden executive order, and also the, uh, the CMMC that are going to be focusing on the open source components. So what we call software uh, supply chain, right? Software, uh, bill, software bill of materials. Material. Yeah, software bill of material is found. So that is going to be important to uh, make sure if you're developing software, make sure you check and to make sure your software is secure when you release it. Thank you for that, Kyle. Great, great points. All right, our, our last and final domain that we're covering today is audit and accountability. Uh, it really covers four areas. Define audit requirements, perform auditing, identify and protect audit information, and review and manage audit logs. A uh, lot going on there. Um, can you, I'll throw out the first question, can you provide an explanation of the requirement review and update log events? I'll take that one. Um, that, that's actually very simple. So you, you have your list of, of, of audits that you're reviewing, and then you find out there's new threats, there's new, um, maybe, maybe you add a component to your system, so you have to go through and update what audits you're collecting and, and analyze. So it's just simply doing a review and to make sure that you're capturing everything that you need to, to be able to have visibility on your network and know what's going on. Yeah, this one is actually, uh, this section is actually uh, a lot more clearly defined, a lot more clear defined um, by, C, uh, you know, by the CMMC practices. So some of the CMMC level three assessment guide actually have a little bit more detail on what should be logged. Um, you know, there are some typical suspect, the logon, you know, successful failure to log on all the activities that the person or the account's actually been performed, right? So be able to actually trace, just think about 
if there is a security incident, you know, what kind of activities do I want to see during my investigation? And that should be all the activities that should be logged uh, to provide you with the evidence so you can trace back and say, yeah, this is exactly what happened. You know, when the bad guy comes, this is what happened. And then you have the evidence, you'll be able to actually do the forensics. Thank you, Kyle. Um, uh, go ahead, I would, um, I would just add uh, also that um, reviewing so, so once you set that list of what should be audited or logged, it's, it is not um, static, obviously, that there may be new threat intelligence or changes in your network or, or other um, inputs that cause you to reevaluate that and expand the scope of logging or um, audit more frequently and things like that. So it's not a once and done, but a constantly um, dynamic list of things to, to um, check and then your response to each of those items. Great. Um, in, in the control AU 3.045 review and update logged events, um, what's the frequency required there? Um, depends if you have the tool or not. If you actually have an automated tool, I think it's going to be ongoing. Um, yeah, because uh, you actually just look at it when there is alert and hopefully you don't have too many alerts that are really actionable. You probably want to define what is actionable alert, uh, what, what is an actionable alert versus just noise, right? You want to filter out the noise. And uh, so that, that means if there is uh, automated tools, uh, hopefully you do because uh, it will be very impossible to actually look at the logs manually because you are going to have the firewall logs, server logs, email, you know, all the storage and uh, yeah, there are gonna be quite a few you know, application logs, right? So you, you really want to be able to use one, one of them, they're talking about the, uh, the log correlation, the SIM, uh, security information and event management tool. You have to pull all the logs together, define some of the rules and uh, show you the alerts when some conditions are met, right? So those are gonna be those are going to be something that's more important, more um, manageable. So I would say it's probably going to be, um, if you have the automated tool, generate alerts, you probably want to look at it you know, daily. If it's not smaller companies, probably can look at it weekly. Um, but I would suggest still going to look at it uh, daily so you know exactly what's going on. If you don't have the tools, um, yeah, it's really going to be very difficult uh, to even do it you know, because if you actually waited for like a weekly, there will be several gig. If it's not, you know, hundreds of gig of data, uh, it's not going to be possible to actually review it manually. Brings up a point when you say automated. Is it required for um, every organization that is meeting level three CMMC to have a SIM or have a log management tool? Or, I mean, if your company, let's say, you have five people and you provide some type of audit accounting services, but you're dealing with CUI and you hire, you know, 1099 uh, contractors to go into facilities and, and do some of that um, auditing. Uh, do they have to invest in a SIM when they're so, so small or can they do that manually? Very hard to um, aggregate, correlate in a single central or in a central repository without um, some sort of log management tool, even if not a, a full SIM, but 
um, the central concept of central repository, I think, leads one to some basic SIM capability. Yeah, there's also an audit requirement to be able to generate a report. So you have to use some type of tool to be able to generate that report to see what's going on in your network. And it's impossible to go through and look at manual logs. It's literally impossible to correlate different things that are going on in your network that all tie together to be able to um, see what's really going on. Uh, so you, you have to have some type of tool to be able to meet the, the CMMC requirements. And just to add, yeah, if they do not have the capability, um, they, they can definitely find a capable uh, managed service providers or managed security service providers to, to uh, outsource to them because uh, they might have the they will have the capability to uh, you know, to actually analyze the log that you have and then give you a report and correlate these logs, uh, you know, generate events. That's what's going on. Great, Kyle. Under um, AU 3.052, um, it says provide audit record reduction. What is meant by that? Uh, that that's kind of what we're talking about. So um, the idea of having a SIM is that you don't need to read the raw logs because that, um, you know, it, I mean, basically one computer would overload somebody with logs by themselves. Uh, so you, by putting logs through a system that can do correlation, uh, reporting and log reduction, AKA alerts, right? Um, that's a way for you to efficiently get through 20,000 logs uh, by just glancing at the screen and seeing if there's something flashing red. Great. Thanks, Amira. Um, identifying and protecting audit information. Um, that's just going through that reduction summary report and then saving it, right? Backing it up um, or, or what is really meant by that? So for this control, what, what the point of this control is to make sure that someone can't go and, and cover their tracks. So you want a tool that forwards logs or, or pulls logs um, and they, they can't be altered in any way. So you wanna be able to keep that chain of record. So if you actually have um, a, a legal matter to go through, you, you, can, you can stand up in court and say, look, these, these logs are protected. There's no way they can be altered. So that's, that's the whole point of this control is making sure that no one's able to, to go back and cover their tracks. There's a way to be able to show that the chain of record of what actually happened. So probably within that scope, you would want to limit management access to, to that log management tool, correct? Absolutely. And that goes to one of the controls. You're only supposed to allow access to audit logs to people that actually are reviewing audit logs. And not I was just going to say separation of duties, right? So um, yeah. whoever is managing your firewall is not, or, or your SQL server, it's not also managing your SIM server. The, the Department of Defense, the government considers um, audit logging to be a key separation of duty activity. The person who can modify or delete audit logs or stop audit logs from occurring uh, should not be the same person that can do regular admin work, which can be difficult for small businesses. Yeah, 
a lot of these controls I think are, are very difficult for small businesses, right? Um, they don't have a lot of the same tools and structure that um, more mature organizations have. All right, um, we're at 11.46 right now. Um, any other points any of the panelists wanna make around defining audit requirements, performing auditing, identifying and protect, review and manage audit logs? There are um, a couple of points in the chat too about um, different places where you can go to, um, to find uh, tools of varying sizes for different size businesses. Um, someone mentioned Splunk, which you know could be used for um, a larger company, depends on volume, how expensive that gets. And, and Kyle mentioned this too, that um, managed service provider, many, uh, many of those have managed SIM products that um, are not terribly expensive. They range in, in price and obviously capability, but there are many, many options out there to, to cover this control well. Uh, there's two two clarifications I'd like to make um, because I, I personally, when I started looking at these controls you know, years ago, um, I didn't understand them. So I figure most people didn't either, but uh, review and update logged events. If you just glance at it, you go, oh, well, that means review your audit logs. And no, that one actually specifically is about um, changing how your audit logs are created. Uh, so that events are logged or not logged based on your lessons learned from incidents um, or based on improving your processes. Uh, I'll, I'll think of the next one in a second. No worries. Um, I'm going to start throwing up some additional questions. Uh, this will we'll probably cover in one of the three domains, but not in specific order of, of the last one that we're doing. Uh, it says here, what should organizations know to report suspicious devices, vendor, et cetera, in the supply chain? Um, uh, so I will uh, start. So I think it's really depending if there's a, well, what kind of a problem, right? If this is something that is small, then they can deal with them directly, or if this is going to be becoming an incident, or say there is some kind of a problem that caused the CUI information to leak that probably become a data breach or a security incident, that's when you have to report to DOD, right? And the report to DOD, there's uh, requirements uh, specifically defined in the BFAR 7012, uh, 252-204-7012, that's saying like you have to report an incident. If there's, if there's a security incident that impacting the contract, or if there's a data breach or something that you notice, uh, discovery of the incident, then you have to report within 72 hours of the discovery to DOD. And that's when you have to go to the DOD website. Uh, I think it's like givenet.dod.mil. That's where you actually have to report the incident. But I think it really depends on the type of incident or type of security events that you actually found. And uh, if there is something that you can address with your suppliers that uh, means do that, but uh, uh, but if you are uh, something that's serious, there you go. Thanks, Kyle. I have a question here that says: Are organizations seeking CMMC certification expected to validate vendors' cybersecurity programs to the same extent as their own? I guess that would depend on what the vendor is doing, right? If we're an MSSP doing log management for you, um, there's there's definitely requirements 
and because we were being part of that chain of, of uh, you know, information and controls that's under the scope of that uh, level three certification. Um, what, what would you guys uh, say in addition to contribute to that? So the DFARS is very specific. It says there's, there's slow down requirements if you're passing on CUI. So if, if, you're, if you're a company and you have subcontractors and you're gonna have to, they're gonna have to um, have access to CUI, then you gotta slow down those requirements. Um, so you gotta issue them a contract that says, you know, here's all the requirements you need to meet. Um, <clears throat> outside of that, I would like to hear what the rest of the panel really has seen in action on on how you can actually manage this. Um, for for companies that I've worked with, uh, there's usually a lot of um, questionnaires that that the prime is is flowing down to their subcontractors. It says you know it has a list of ten questions, but every questionnaire I've seen is is totally different and asking different questions. So I'm just curious how how other um, uh, consultants on this call is kind of managing the, the flow down requirements. Yeah, so so for, for what we have seen, um, hopefully, you know, what we have seen is that we will actually uh, kind of uh, conduct the uh, conducting the um, supplier manage supplier meeting, right? So get all that in, in scope in scope suppliers together, and we'll, we'll conduct a meeting on behalf of our customers to actually say, you're in scope, give you, under, give you a kind of like a brief understanding in terms of what are the requirements, and then give them the understanding why CUI, what type of information that you have to protect to some of the overview of what is, uh, what is the requirements, some of the default requirements, the upcoming CMMC, and that these are what you have to do, then go back and here's the questionnaire. Kind of like the process that you're seeing with a lot of large primes, but these are gonna be for the smaller companies that have to do that as well. And um, I think, yeah, I, I think you can only go, go down one level because uh, that becomes the uh, subcontractor, your subcontractor's responsibility to make sure they flow down. It's not going to be an easy process, and uh, I don't know how DOD will be able to manage like and and the level sub uh, subcontractors because it's uh, really not that easy to actually manage. So if you come down to a very small companies, they probably will have a hard time flow down already, uh, and uh, it, it will be very it, it will be a little bit difficult for them to manage their subcontractors and make sure they are compliant. Um, yeah, so I, I will say, yeah, this is uh, something that we have done. But uh, yes, uh, I, I will say the sub, uh, giving the questionnaire to the to the company's subcontractors are still probably the best way to do and make sure they sign it, sign it, sign it, and say they're going to manage and the flow down their subcontractors. Yeah, the the only thing I would add to that is, um, you know, there is the 171719 requirement that's still an interim rule. Um, but it's still a rule as is, is that they have to at least do a basic assessment and they have to have a score entered into SPRS, uh, meet those requirements before you flow down uh, any information to them. So I, I would say at least meet the DOD requirements as of right now. 
but who knows? I mean, as soon as that, that DFARS clauses, you know, 7019 through 7021 are finalized, who knows what, what changes are going to come from that. So uh, right. more to yeah. follow, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, 7020, so, so 7019, 7020 uh, saying that they have to submit their assessment score, right, um, to, to attest that they have done their self-assessment or uh, some of the basic or medium-high assessment and submit their results to the SPRS system. But that record um, is not visible to anyone other than the submitter. Right? So, yeah. yeah. But we, we can only take the word for it. Yeah, two, two quick ads. That record itself is CUI. When you submit it, it does say that, that this, uh, the SPURS or SPRS score is, um, is CUI. But I, I wanted to throw this out too. One of the challenges that we've had, I'd, I'd love feedback from, um, from anyone else, finding um, supply chain um, vendors or equipment for um, you know, uh, internal servers or firewall or SIM servers and things like that, that where you can uh, fully identify the supply chain, um, a, a credibility or risk associated with that is very, it's very challenging. And then on top of that, um, the cost of the equipment is much more expensive. So I'm just, um, I'm curious to know how everyone else has, has handled that and identifying a solid supply chain and then uh, managing the additional costs associated with that. Yeah, so there is the DOD approved products list. Um, and then you, you know for a fact that it meets uh, FIPS requirements, um, some of the other NIST requirements to be able to get on the APL. Um, but the, the APL is very, very small. It doesn't have, um, it's not a very uh, broad list of, of products that are available. But um, if a product is on that list, then you're assured that it's met the, the, the requirements for, for basically a, to be a part of a DOD network. So I would say go to that list, and that might be your starting point. Um, but I wouldn't say that, that don't choose something that's not on the list just because it's not on the list. In, in regard to um, vendors that handle your CUI or provide security for your CUI, you know, MSPs, MSSPs, cloud providers, um, from an assessor standpoint, we would need proof that those vendors are doing the CMMC practices, um, at least the ones that are related to their system, if it provides security. Uh, and if it actually stores CUI, then those vendors would need proof showing that they're doing CMMC for pretty much every practice. Um, and there's very few uh, vendors out there that can provide that level of proof. It's, it's almost limited to just the vendors that have gone FedRAMP authorized mm -hmm. um, because the, the controls in FedRAMP uh, can be mapped to CMMC. Um, other audit reports like SOC 2 are just a fraction of what CMMC requires. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major concern in terms of how people actually be able to prove um, that their systems and the vendors providing those systems uh, meet CMMC. So if, so if the MSSP has or is about to receive their C3PAO certification, would that type of company fit the bill? 
given that they have to go through their own CMT level three assessment? Maybe. So if if their system that they're doing the MSSP work and the people that they're doing it with is the same that they went through their C3PAO certification, then probably. Um, the uh, Actually, the, the group I'm, I'm a, a vice chair for, the C3PAO Stakeholder Forum, uh, we sent a letter to the DOD in April and we, we basically said, uh, you know, please um, set up a standard system for providers to get audits of the things that they are are inheritable for. So maybe not their own information system, but if they provide, say, MSSP services, uh, have a system to pr perform a CMMC audit against those practices uh, so that they can be inherited uh, by their customers. Thank you, Amira Robert. Thank you for the question. It is top of the hour. Um, this time goes fast. Uh, I appreciate all of the panelists and their contributions and everybody that joined us today. You will receive an email after this with a link to the recording. So anybody that had to jump in and out of this for, for uh, priorities and meetings as we go through our daily jobs, um, you will be able to go back and watch that. Also watch for another email uh, for our part four in the series. We have two more uh, to cover all 17 domains. And we also were have, have uh, those previous uh, past two recordings available as well. So I appreciate everybody's time. Thank you for attending today. If you have any additional questions, uh, any guidance um, that you need in this endeavor, please don't hesitate to reach out to us and we'd be happy to uh, point you in the right direction. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Robert, Dasha, Mike, Eric, Karen, Thad, Kyle, Angela, Amira, and Dasha. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you, David. Bye-bye.